before us, right? So, Zephaniah, Father, we ask that you just bless this study and this uh, minor prophet, that you would bless our time in the, your word. I, this is a book that, Lord, that uh, I think many Christians don't even know it's in the Bible, um, but it is here, and there's a powerful message here, and we know that uh, it's for us today. We want to be encouraged and blessed and benefited uh, because we went through this minor prophet. And Lord, we, we pray that you take your word and you work it deep within my, our hearts, my heart as well as I teach it. And Lord, uh, I, I know there's blessing for those who have made the time to watch online and, and to continue through the scriptures. And we just uh, ask for your blessing upon this study. In Jesus' name, amen. So the theme of this small book of the Old Testament really is the day of the Lord. And you'll see that because he uses that specific phrase seven times in these three short chapters. And he's the last of the Old Testament prophets to use this phrase. We saw the day of the Lord, that phrase, throughout the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, of course, is 66 chapters. And Isaiah would make the reference to that day or on that day. Matter of fact, I was just thinking about that as Travis was singing uh, this song uh, right before the teaching, on that day that every knee will bow. And there is going to be a day. There's going to be a day of judgment. There's going to be a day that the Lord's going to come back. But the the phrase, uh, the day of the Lord, is a period of time. And we know that Zephaniah uses it, and he, he also uses that phrase as we read that day or on that day uh, 19 times, more than any other Old Testament prophet. And he uses it, that phrase, in a reference to the judgment coming upon Judah as they would be going off into captivity by the Babylonians. And then also, in, in that judgment would take place about 30 years from the time that Zephaniah is writing these words down and prophesying. But also, he looks down through history to that period of time, which is the day of the Lord. And it's a phrase, of course, the day of the Lord that uh, is a period of time, as I said. As many of you know, as we talked about quite extensively going through the books of the prophet and uh, through uh, end-time prophecy and our studies, that it's a period of time that begins after the rapture of the church. There will be that final seven-year period before the return of Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. That's called the tribulation period or Daniel's 70th week. And you can read about the details in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. So the day of the Lord includes that time of the tribulation period and then also uh, is included in the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. So that's all the day of the Lord, a period of time. Now, Zephaniah, as we read uh, this book, his name means Jehovah hides or Jehovah protects. And he's given these prophecies during the days of Josiah. Now, that may ring a bell with you. And two of his contemporaries of are Jeremiah and then Habakkuk. And Habakkuk, we just went through last week. Habakkuk, remember that he's wrestling and he sees all the condition of the nation and he has a complaint against the Lord, and he says, Lord, why, why is all this happening? And the Lord says, I'm working a work. 
And we see that he's waiting for an answer for the Lord in chapter 2, Habakkuk. And the Lord comes and tells him how he's going to use the Chaldeans. He knows all about the Chaldeans. Uh, I know all about them, but I'm going to do work. I'm going to use them to bring judgment on Judah. And then we see that Habakkuk in chapter 3 is worshiping. So he, he's wrestling. He's wondering. He, he's waiting. And then he is worshiping. Zephaniah is ministering during this time. About the time that uh, Habakkuk and then Jeremiah, of course, had a long ministry, nearly 50 years, that he's on this scene as well as he's ministering in Jerusalem. Now, of course, you might remember, just by way of review, that as we look at the, the historical books of the Old Testament, that Josiah, when he became king, he was only eight years old. And he was, um, you know, king after a, a great spiritual decay in apostasy that was happening in Judah. He was the last of the, the godly kings that come on the scene of Judah. His grandfather, Manasseh, was the worst king of Judah. Manasseh reigned longer than any other king of Judah, 55 years. He plunged the nation deep into idol worship, into occultic practices, Great immorality, even where they were sacrificing their children on the arms of Moloch, there in the Valley of Gehenna. Matter of fact, I remember one of our trips to Israel, that they did some excavations, and they went down to the time of Manasseh, and they found a bunch of idols just everywhere. And the nation was as plunged with idols and occultic practices and everything that was, uh, that was wrong, that was evil, and Manasseh, as he seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Judah, we know the scripture says in Second Chronicles chapter 33 that Jerusalem did more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. That's how bad it was. And even though, as we read in Second Chronicles, something interesting happened, that Manasseh was taken by the king of Assyria. He was bound up. He would then turn to the Lord. And he actually gives us evidence there in Second Chronicles that Manasseh repented, was restored in Jerusalem for a very short time, but the damage was done. And the people were full of, of just false worship and false uh, practices, and the nation uh, was very, very dark at that time. And then when he died, his son Ammon became king for a couple years, and he was as bad as his father. So it was the Lord that had said, because of the sins of Manasseh, the nation's going to go off into captivity by the Babylonians. And it was not only the people that had turned away from the Lord, but the leaders had done that, the civil leaders and the spiritual leaders. There was great, incredible darkness and evil during the days of Manasseh and Ammon. And the nation never really turned back to God, even during the days of Josiah. Now, as many of you know, but uh, just again to remind you that Josiah, being the last of the good kings, he comes on the scene and he brought reforms to the nation. They were cleaning up the temple uh, as they were doing that. Manasseh had a lot of idols in there. Uh, he had closed off the, the temple area for worship, true worship of God. And as they're cleaning it up, they, they find in a corner the copy of the book of the law. That's how bad it was. They didn't even have any Bibles around, if you would. But they had the book of the law that they found, and it was read to him, to Josiah. And as the word of God was touching his heart and piercing his heart, and that's what the word of God does. 
as we read it, it it's like a two-edged sword piercing our hearts even to the division of soul and spirit as hebrews chapter 4 tells us and he tears his clothes and he says so wonder so wonder we're going through difficulties and through the hardship because we have rebelled against the lord and they brought in this prophetess uh Huldah, and she said that Josiah, because your heart is tender towards the Lord, you're not going to see the calamity, but it's going to still come. You're going to go to the grave in peace. And Josiah would, at that time, he would restore true worship, and these reforms came, but it wasn't true revival. And we see that. Matter of fact, Jeremiah speaks about it in his book in chapter 3. He's rebuking Judah because your sins are worse than your sister Israel because you saw what happened to Israel. A uh, hundred years, you know, before Josiah, that you went off into captivity. Uh, you were taken off because of your idol worship of Baal and and Astaroth and the evil that you did, and you did not learn from Israel. And Judah would continue in her sins of the same thing. And he says that you come and you worship, but it's all in pretense. In other words, it's just going through the motions. And what had happened is, as the reforms came. There wasn't true revival in the hearts of the people for most of them. So the prophetess uh, Huldah, she says, Your heart is tender, Josiah, but the people, even though reforms that took place, that they are going to go off into captivity because they're going to do evil. Now we know that there are some that out of those reforms and Josiah uh, declaring that temple worship is going to be restored. We know that Passover was restored at that time. They put away the idols, all those things that there were those who followed after the Lord. One was Daniel. Daniel was born during that time of reforms that was happening uh, during the time of Josiah, as well as his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. We know them in Daniel chapter 3, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were just teenagers when they were taken off into captivity by Babylon in 605 B.C. And, and of course, Daniel... Uh, and his friends said, you know, they were determined not to defile themselves uh, in eating the king's meat and, and the wine. We know that they would not bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had made in chapter 3. And we see that they had a heart for the Lord. But for the most part, the people's hearts were not dedicated to his ways and uh, the ways of the Lord. And because soon Josiah, uh, after the reforms, he ended up getting killed. And he's killed in about 609 B.C. And right after that, they plunge right back into idol worship. The last four kings, three of those kings were sons of Josiah. One was a grandson. And um, it it was uh, back to idol worship after that. So as this uh, reforms took place, about 10 years after Josiah becomes the king, Zephaniah, he comes on the scene. And it's thought that during the first 10 years of Josiah's reign, that he's writing these words, he is prophesying, and it is thought by scholars that he would play a part in this reforms or revival that Josiah was trying to bring to the nation. And Zephaniah speaks boldly now concerning the fate of the people that was to come. And there was to be a message of you need to turn back to the Lord. And as we read this, this is, again, we see the condition of the people, what was going on, what was taking place. And uh, they are not going to be rescued from the Babylonians, and the judgment would come. But whoever would listen, there is going to be 
uh, turning to the Lord, uh, and you could turn to Him uh, and uh, whoever humbled themselves to the Lord. And there's that exhortation to do that, to turn back to the Lord. And as you open up the book, verse 1 tells us that uh, here, that you, as you trace uh, back, let's read it. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So we see that he goes back four generations, and he has uh, here access to the royal palace that uh, would help him, help him have influence. And, and you can trace the lineage back to Hezekiah here. He's of the royal line. And also, uh, this book begins with prophecy in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1 about judgment, the great day of the Lord in all the earth. So let's begin to look at that, that I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land. It says the Lord, I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks, along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. So right away we see that uh, he doesn't, you know, waste any time uh, at all. This great, great grandson of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah, of course, was a good king. And also, we know that um, Josiah was very young, as I said, eight years old when he began to reign. And as we look at this, uh, we, he gets right to the point. He warns of harsh and complete judgment that would consume everything before uh, the Lord. And we continue reading. We're going to see that uh, Zephaniah is actually looking forward in the time when judgment will come upon, in verses 2 and 3, the whole earth the face of the land, the fish of the sea. It's speaking, I believe, and most scholars do, of the tribulation period. And then as we read in verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. Remember that Isaiah, he would be talking about a near fulfillment, and then he would be talking about a future fulfillment. Well, Zephaniah kind of does the same thing. So he speaks of the great day of the Lord, and then he's talking about judgment, a near uh, fulfillment of judgment that would be against Judah, the Lord's hand against Judah, against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but also swear by Malcolm, or that is um, also Molech, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. So there was still this this atmosphere in the hearts of the people are actually being practiced where they were worshiping uh, the false gods. They were, um, you know, given their worship to Baal, to, to uh, Moloch. Uh, they were uh, up on their housetops uh, worshiping uh, the host of heaven on the housetops. All these things that had plagued them. And we see that it's interesting in verses 4 through 6 that he's addressing the spiritual leaders here. The false worship, the idolatrous worshiping that was going on. We know that, you recall, in the study of the Olivet Discourse, that Jesus, he said concerning the signs of the end of the age, that he says right off the bat, the very first thing that he addresses 
is that there's going to be many that are going to be deceived because of false Christs and prophets that are going to come on the scene. He said, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and there will be false prophets that will rise up. John, of course, in his epistle writes that, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And Paul writes about the Antichrist coming on the scene that uh, will come according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he writes this, that will have lying signs and wonders. So he's going to be working according to the power of Satan. So we know that there's going to be great deception that's going to take place in the last days. We know that there's going to be a false worldwide church in the beginning of the tribulation period, the first three and a half years, that will be destroyed by the Antichrist. And then the Antichrist, in the middle of the tribulation period, will go into the tribulation temple and proclaim himself as God. So all these warnings are given to us. And here in Zephaniah, he is indicting here um, judgment as he speaks of this spiritual apostasy. Uh, and judgment is coming to those who worship idols. Uh, God is going to stretch out his hand against Judah. Uh, the city would be destroyed in 586 B.C. And it's interesting that in verse 5 that they would mention the Lord and then their idols, pluralistic belief, which is of course, encourage today. Uh, let's include everyone. We, if you believe in Jesus, fine, but you also have to accept Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, all this other stuff, and we all are going to be one. And we, we, there's many ways to heavens and all of this. So uh, they uh, were worshiping those idols, and again, we saw that Jeremiah, as he would rebuke the nation, you should have learned from Israel because. Those idols, and Baal was a big idol worship in the house of Israel, and then also Malcolm or Malcolm or um, those idols as well, Moloch, they worshiped them, Astaroth. Those idols didn't help the house of Israel. It uh, didn't help them at all, not one bit, no evidence. And here the indictment is now you're going to experience the judgment just like your sister Israel did. And in verse 7, be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guests, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such are as clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold and fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. So God addresses the royal family here of Judah, verse 8, dressed in foreign apparel. They were, in other words, ashamed of their national identity, and they would dress like the pagan nations. And then verse 9, they leaped over the threshold. What does that mean? It's a reference to a pagan custom in the temple, like don't step on a crack. Remember we were kids? We walked down the sidewalk. Don't step on a crack. You'll break your mother's back. Things like that. But they we're very, very serious about it. So it includes just the false beliefs and practices that they were doing. And then in verse 10, And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. As we read this in verse 11, Wail, you inhabitants of Maktish, for all the merchants' peoples are cut down, and those who handle money are cut off. 
So speaking of the Babylonians, how they would break through the fish gate and would destroy their market area where they were making money. Verse 12, and it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore, their goods shall become booty and their houses a desola uh, desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. So they didn't think that judgment would come to them. So he spoke about their spiritual apostasy. Now he's speaking about their spiritual apathy. Um, judgment's not going to come. We've seen this going through the books of the prophet. Nothing's going to happen to us. Ezekiel would mention how they would say, uh, the temple, the temple. We have the temple. Nothing's going to happen to us. And we know that in the last days that Peter writes in Second Peter chapter 2, that there will be scoffers that will be on the scene saying, where's the coming of the Lord since your forefathers' times? Things continue as they are. And we see those scoffers today. The Lord's not going to come back. Uh, there's going to be no judgment. There's going to be no tribulation period. Everything's going to continue as they were before. So that's what was happening here. They didn't believe that judgment would come to them. Even the leaders, as they were warned by Jeremiah, as they are being warned by Zephaniah, that judgment would come to them. In verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. And there the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. So the intensity of the judgment is told to us in verses 14 through 16. The noise of the day of the Lord also describes, I believe, the tribulation period. Uh, this would happen with the Babylonian attack as they came in and destroyed Jerusalem, but it's going to happen in a final seven-year period prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then as we finish the chapter, the last two verses is talking about the certainty of the judgment. I will bring distress among upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuge neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire fire of his jealousy for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land so the certainty of the judgment you can't buy your way out of God's judgment. It's going to come. Gold or silver won't deliver you. But God's wrath is going to come upon the whole land. And uh, will be certain. Chapter 2, there's a call to repentance as we regather yourselves together. Yes, gather together. Uh, old undesirable nation. Before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility, that it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Now, verse 3 is an interesting verse, but in the first two verses of the chapter, this call to repentance gathered together is the idea of national mourning and repentance. And I pray that would happen with our nation. Our nation is so far away from the Lord and is getting further away from the Lord. And we are ones that 
that we are in decline spiritually and morally. And I just want to remind us as we've entered into a new year that how important it is for us to be praying for our nation, to pray for a spiritual revival. Listen, we are in another election year, and I know that's important, and the issues are important, and we want to keep uh, you know, um, up on the issues, and, and we want to stand for what's right. We want to uh, stand for what's going to be good for our nation. We want to hold our leaders accountable. We have a voice as Christians, but I want us to always remember this, that the true hope and the lasting hope for our nation is a spiritual awakening, a spiritual revival in the land. And that's what I pray takes place. And we need to pray for that. And the church needs to stand firm on the word of God and call people into repentance to turn back to the Lord. But as we see here in verse 3, speaking, I believe, again, of the tribulation period, all you meek of the earth, Jesus would say in Luke chapter 21, that watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So watch therefore and pray. Uh, he says that right after he speaks about the things that will happen in the tribulation period. And we are worthy as we come to the Lord in faith in Jesus Christ. There is a way of escape. Pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. What things? Those things that Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse that will take place in the tribulation, the great tribulation period. There is a way of escape. Sometimes people make fun of you and me who believe in the rapture of the church that will take place before the tribulation period. They say, well, you just want to escape. Well, I'll take it because I don't want to go through the tribulation period. And Jesus says there is a way of escape, and that is that we come to Jesus in faith, and he, we are going to be standing before the Son of Man. The church is going to be raptured, I believe, before the, the day of the Lord begins, or this day of wrath that comes upon a Christ-rejected world. But what is interesting here is, as you read, that you may be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. It reminds me so much of what Isaiah wrote uh, earlier before Zephaniah. Uh, Isaiah was on the scene a hundred years before Zephaniah or um, 60 years before uh, Zephaniah was. And he writes in chapter 26 something interesting, some same phraseology. Listen to this, uh, and you can look it up. So chapter 26 and verses 20 and 21 as Isaiah says, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself. So in that same phraseology is, it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So hide yourself, as it were, back to Isaiah for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants, listen, of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So many scholars say, well, this is a reference to the Assyrians coming in and taking the ten northern tribes off into captivity, that prophecy there in Isaiah. But hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. The Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. So he's talking about a wrath that will come upon the whole earth, punishment upon the whole earth. And come, my people, enter your chamber, shut the doors behind you, you're hidden. I believe that it very well could it be, and you can do your own study on it, a reference to the rapture of the church. And I wonder if verse 3 here of chapter 2 of Zephaniah is a reference to the rapture of the church as well. Seek righteousness, seek humility. 
that it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And we are going to be taken to heaven where we're going to be with him, hidden away for seven years until we come back with him in the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's something that you might want to look at. Some believe that it may be a reference to the Jews going off to the rock city of Petra. We know that when the Antichrist goes into the temple and proclaims himself as God, then anyone who does not make their allegiance with him, Revelation chapter 13, and take the mark of the beast, then they won't be able to buy or sell, and he's going to heavily persecute them. And there's going to be a remnant of the Jews that are going to hide in the rock city uh, of Petra. And we know that uh, Isaiah spoke of that, of Shalah, that they'll be hidden, and uh, God's going to hide them there and provide for them. So some say that perhaps this is a reference to that as well. But let's continue in verse 4 of chapter 2. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ascalon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Elkron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. As we read this in verse 6, the seacoast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds of flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah, and they shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ascalon they shall lie down at evening, for the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. So here judgment against the Philistines. You see these the cities of the Philistines. They had five major cities. There was Elkron, there was um, Ascalon, um, there was the other cities that are uh, mentioned here um, that this judgment that would come against them, those great cities are, are, are now just ruins uh, today. But verse 8, I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom, and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits, and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. So on the east side of the Jordan River, on the other side, the Philistines, of course, were along the Mediterranean Sea, west of Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem, on the east side of the Jordan River, judgment against the Moabites and the Ammonites, and an Old Testament prophet spoke often of their pride and their arrogance and judgment would come. And all other gods will be reduced to nothing. And one day the Lord will be worshipped by the nations. And um, truly that will happen as he will come and rule and reign. And then verse 12, the Ethiopians also shall be slain by my sword. And then verse 13, the Assyrians. And he will stretch out his hand against the north. Destroy Assyria, make Nineveh a desolation, a dry as the wilderness. The herds shall lie down in her midst, every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern, and shall lodge in the capitals of her pillars. Their voice shall sing in the windows, and desolation shall be at the thresholds, for he will lay bare the cedar work. Uh, and verse 15, this is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. 
How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. So judgment against the Assyrians. And of course, we just went through Naaman a few weeks ago that spoke about this judgment that would come against Nineveh. And then chapter 3, in this short uh, book of Zephaniah, we read, Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. As we read here, God's city, a place of sacrifice and worship, was now oppressed and rebellion and polluted spiritually. They're not obeying the Lord, trusting in other things and other gods rather than the true and living God, uh, rather than coming to him and, and worshiping him and sacrificing unto him. In verse 3, her princess in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, uh, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Uh, as, again, the description of the condition of Judah and Jerusalem, spiritually, civilly. Uh, God, listen, he never gives us a reason to stop trusting him. And they stop trusting him. Or that he's going to be unfaithful. Or he never tells us he doesn't want that relationship with us. He does. And yet they, they walked away from the Lord. The Lord is righteous in her midst, verse 5, and he will do uh, will, he will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails. I have that underlined. The Lord doesn't fail. We can feel like that he does. And we think, Lord, that you failed me, but he doesn't. And the unjust knows no shame. In verse 6, I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. They made their streets desolate with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me and you will receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I punish her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. So no one had you know, any shame uh, the way that they were living. Uh, and the Lord is righteous and all that he does every morning, he was trying to correct them, but they would not receive it. Uh, God uh, was trying to get their attention. He brought his justice to the nations surrounding him, and it should have warned them. God rebuked Judah for what happened to Israel, and they didn't listen, as I've already mentioned. He said that your iniquity was even worse than your sister Israel. But let's go on and let's um, read verse 8. That therefore wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder, and my determination to gather the nations, to assemble the assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. So now he's going back talking about uh, all the earth, the indignation that would come, synonymous with, I believe, the tribulation period that is spoken of uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, he says, for then, in verse 9, I will restore to the peoples a pure language. Now that's an interesting Verse that is there, a pure language, maybe some saying that um, Hebrew would come back. And we know that when the Jews came back and became a nation again, one of the miracles was not only were they in our restoring the land, but Hebrews back into the land, a lost language. 
Everybody speaks Hebrew now, so a pure language that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshiper, the daughter of my dispersed one, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave you in the midst of a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. And these are wonderful verses, because after the indignation, of course, comes the restoration, a return of one language. Uh, They'll follow after the Lord. Uh, They will rest and feed their flocks, and they won't be afraid. They won't speak lies. And, of course, speaking of that national restoration that's spoken all throughout the books of the prophets, and as Paul writes about, that in that day all of Israel will be saved in Romans chapter 11. And then as we finish this book, That sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your judgments, and he has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. Speaking of God's faithfulness and the joy that's going to come when he restores uh, the nation of Israel. In that day, we see that term once again, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. Zion, another name for Jerusalem. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. And and I have this underlined. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I love that. Because it's not only for them speaking of the restoration. It is for you and for me. That he is in our midst, and he saves, and he rejoices over us with gladness. He rejoices over you, and he will quiet you with his love. We can be quiet before the Lord, because he is true and he is faithful, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Uh, The Lord sings about you. Isn't that amazing? He rejoices over you, and, and he loves us, and his love won't fail. And there's a gladness that he has because you and I have come to him and he's our father and we have relationship with him. And I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, verse 18, who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land. For they were put to shame. And at that time I will bring you back. Even at a time I gather you. For I give you fame and praise among the peoples of the earth. When I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. So God will rejoice over you. That's so glorious. A quiet spirit is given to us because of his love. No sorrow. No more persecution. Then he continues speaking here about gathering his people to himself. But he's going to gather the church to himself. And what a glorious day that's going to be when he takes us home to be with him. So we have reason for 2022 to keep looking for the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, and just be quiet before the Lord because of his love given to us and his faithfulness. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this this little short book that's given to us that speaks of the things that apply to us today. Lord, there is a plan. These things that we've seen verse after verse and chapter after chapter that there will be tribulation, but we're going to be hidden away. 
We're going to be hidden away and uh, be with you. And then we're going to come back with you as you establish your kingdom. So I thank you for that. And I thank you that we can keep our eyes on you and our focus and be quiet before you because of your love and to know that you rejoice over us. So bless everyone here. I, I pray that, uh, Lord, that this year would be a year of growth, growing in your love and in your word. And, Lord, just knowing you more and walking with you and being established in your word and in your love and in your ways. So, Lord, bless everyone here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, hope to see you on Sunday. God bless you.